0: But happy hour but happy hour. Tina bada it's in the la ba la ba talking and treating eviscerating the genre they love opera happy
1: hour happy
2: hour Welcome to OperaPot Happy Hour, a podcast in which I, Tina, our real-life opera singer
0: tells me amanda a real live human about the plot of an opera or normally that's what happens but that's not what we're doing tonight uh i mean so if you have been under a rock um there has been yet another killing of a black man by the minneapolis and or surrounding suburbs police in the last two days while this uh city is already on edge um For lack of a better word, I guess, uh, because we're watching the trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who killed George Floyd last May, and it really just did not feel right for me and Tina to hop on here and talk about white people things. (laughs) like opera. (laughs) And when I say white people, things like opera, I mean things that are dominated by white people, but by no means belong to us. So what Tina and I have done is we have just tried to compile as many different podcasts, books, uh, organizations, Instagram accounts, everything that you can follow, whether it's because you want to educate yourself or because you want to learn about black people doing the thing in the arts which really is kind of where we're going we don't want this to become a trauma porn episode where we just talk about how terrible it is uh that horrible awful horrible things happen disproportionately to people of color although that is true uh we really want to just take this opportunity to do what is right which is to amplify black voices and because this podcast is about opera we want to do that as much within the context of opera and classical music and music as possible
2: yeah use our platform to uplift the voices that need to be uplifted now especially but absolutely always
0: Mm -hmm. so this feels real weird because we don't have any structure
2: (laughs) (laughs) which like bear with us because yeah. yeah we go off on tangents but this episode is going to be one long tangent about particularly
0: just... <laughs> tangential
2: <laughs> yeah about like organizations and resources that we feel passionately about and we're we're really just kind of trying to shine some spotlight on this week um so i'm just going to jump right in and tell you guys about black table arts which is totally new here in the Twin Cities. It's a community-driven arts co-op, and it is specifically to gather Black communities through arts and towards um, bettering Black futures. They have a bookstore. They have um, shared workspace. Basically, just it's it's a grassroots organization designed to help Black artists succeed and move forward in this career. Awesome. And they have oh, it's it's so cool. I follow everything that they do, and I just. I'm giving you guys all the love and liking all the things and boosting you in the Facebook algorithm as much as I can. So shout out to Black Table Arts. I will say that if you are not from Minneapolis and you can't like visit Black Table Arts, just follow their stuff, boost them on social media. But you can also go to the store on their website and they have a book in that store called a garden of black joy which is an anthology of poems interviews essays and so on that spotlight black joy not only as a resource of abundance but as a mode of self-defense and it's got poets from all over the world and just it's a sketch of what black joy means in this moment and how to make use of that in the future and there's also Oh yeah. It's a beautiful book too. Just like it's, I think it's like $25. It's $25 well spent because it supports black artists and really uplifts black voices. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll also say for Black Table Arts, there's a donate button on their website. And if you donate, you can help subsidize the cost of membership for black artists in the community. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, and the membership gives uh, access to, like, creative space, offices, office supplies. Um, they have, like, a stock of noise-canceling headphones that artists can wear <laughs> as they're doing awesome. their work. They have, like, <laughs> podcasting studio space, use of oh, laptops. That's like that's
0: so cool. And, I, like, that's awesome. You know, that's just awesome in general. And then, you know, obviously, when we look at the the percentage of people in the arts who are... BIPOC uh, in its various iterations. Um, it's just ridiculously small. Um, and we can, you know, we, we, we could go back and, you know, tie all sorts of threads to why, you know, look at public schools, look at education, look at um, socioeconomic status historically and draw all those lines, basically back to slavery and imperialism. Um, but yeah, that's, that's amazing that they have those. I, I love those specific resources that they're providing. Podcasting studios. Uh, my Heck yes. More black <laughs> podcasts. And speaking of black, black podcasts, you have one for me. Okay. So black opera live is a podcast. Uh, it's a weekly live interview program and it's um, featuring uh, or hosted by Grammy award winning baritone, Kenneth Overton and it features candid conversations and in-depth discussion with Black opera stars of the present, as well as some legends. They get some legends in there too, and some emerging artists, some composers, conductors, Um, and they're actually also creating a documentary, and you can donate at their website to help get that project completed. It looks really incredible, and that Website is https. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I'm gonna find a better <laughs> link for you. I don't Let's
3: know just what.
2: we'll we'll post links to all of these. Like we don't need to say them. I don't think. I've also got
0: more podcasts. Do you yeah? want to hear about more podcasts? Yeah. Tell so me what one- more podcasts. I got one for you too. Ooh, you go next then. Oh, okay. Um, So
2: the podcast that I have is relatively new. It is called The Score, and it is hosted by our very own Minnesota Opera. It's hosted Mm -hmm. by... Lee Bynum, the vice president of Impact, Paige Reynolds, the civic engagement manager, and Rocky Jones, who is the equity, diversity, and inclusion director. And each episode features stories from a variety of perspectives that bring Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer, trans, and non-binary folks and everyone else into this into the discussion of ownership over and access to the art form. And something that I love about this podcast is that they end each episode with a PB&J, which is a moment of pure black joy.
0: PB&J. Wait, so that, are they actually, are they expressing pure black joy while also eating a PB&J sandwich? Oh, that would be wonderful. I no, feel like that they... might be a missed opportunity, but I'm going to give it to them because that acronym is fantastic. <laughs> hey, they're only in episode three. There's room. Oh, there's opportunity for actual PB&J sandwiches. I love this.
2: Yeah, yeah. In- and <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll give it away in the in the third episode. Their PB and J includes the two new Sesame Street puppets that are designed to be African
0: American characters. Ah, I saw something. Oh God, I closed the tab. Um, so I have a four year old, four and a half year old now. Oh my God, there came across my feed a Sesame Street like parents resource guide like educating your child on racial justice and in an age-appropriate manner um and i'll try to find the link so that we can post it because it's free for one thing and it's got a shit ton of different resources it's got you know stories and coloring pages and guided activities so that you're not just grappling for the right things to say that is super terrifying, intimidating thing about raising children is how do you talk to your kids about race? Um, and it's also got a bunch of little videos and things like that. And I actually just submitted it to, um, my kiddos preschool board, um, to see if they will incorporate it into the curriculum, but super cool, uh, yeah. Sesame street resources. Thank you, Sesame street for just always being awesome forever.
2: I love that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't remember ever having that conversation growing up. Never. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. And it's something that we've all had to learn to do as adults, and we're still learning, and we're playing catch-up from all the years that we didn't have those resources to to talk about this sort of thing. So, yeah, Yeah. props to Sesame Street and to just everybody who is working towards this in educating your kids.
0: Absolutely. Trying to figure out how to raise not just because you know we were raised with that whole like I don't see color garbage Uh. (laughs) that just absolutely denies the experience and like downplays everything and teaches you to just stick your head in the sand and it's garbage and as with all things uh you know I I give my parents and the parents of our generation the grace that I hope will be given to me in that they did what they knew and they did what they felt was best based on the resources and information they had available to them. Now that was substandard. Yes. <laughs> um, But now, you know, being who we are and trying to distinguish between quote unquote, non-racist and anti-racist and trying to raise anti-racist kids. It's amazing how despite the fact that we're actively doing this, that we're actively seeking out the books and the community spaces and the the language to use with our kids to make sure that they're aware of this in, in the right ways. It's amazing how bias sneaks in. There was a day recently when I don't remember what exactly my kiddo said, but essentially they made a comment that was to the tune of well that that person is suspicious because they're black and i just remember i mean it smacked me right in the face because again we actively try to dismantle this type of thinking in our house and at her school and in her community and yet that difference that distinction of i look this way and you look this way exists normal developmental thing to notice but ascribing morality to it is something that I don't know where she would have gotten it wow you know and so I say all this for the sake of accountability for one thing and for the sake of saying hey other white people listening to this podcast if you think that this is all fine in your household you might want to do a double check because I think that there's really truly some seriously subconscious things at play here. Mm -hmm. And if you're not actively trying to root it out and investigate it and understand it in yourself, you are not anti-racist. You are complicitly racist. Yes. Yes, yes,
2: yes, yes. And it's not something that you read one book, you don't like read White
0: Fragility and it goes away. And you especially don't read White Fragility because it's written by a white woman, if I'm not mistaken it is (laughs) (laughs) thanks white lady we appreciate the effort but also there's other books uh one that i really appreciate is how to be an anti-racist by abram Mm -hmm. x kendi very awesome i am terrible about sitting down and reading a book um so i've actually been listening to it when i was attempting to read it (laughs) it was gripping in chunks uh, but again like i said my attention span is just so very very short um but yeah audiobooks guys audiobooks are a thing too if you're like me and you just can't sit the fuck down and read and that um, a good so, one so <laughs> i know that we're we're gonna get into books in a second you got another podcast um
2: but i do i just i do just want to make a comment on the audiobook thing mm. don't order them from audible don't give money to jeff bezos I know. if right? you want to get audiobooks subscribe to libro.fm they actually let you choose your favorite local independent bookstore. What? To share the profits with. So you're what? not giving money to Amazon and you're benefiting your favorite local bookstore. <gasps> I personally like to do The Irreverent Bookworm, which is a woman owned bookstore in South Minneapolis.
0: I wonder if they also have, I think it's Black Garnet Books in Minneapolis. They do have Black, Black Garnet owned- Books. Oh my God. Yes. Look at yes. This. And there's. I, you know, and this, this also brings up something for me too, because I feel like, and I don't want to co op this conversation at all because tonight is about amplifying black voices, but, you know, we've had a lot of conversation recently about anti-Asian racism. And one mm-hmm. of the conversations that also gets kind of just really swept under the rug, like astonishingly swept under the rug is anti-native racism. Oh and, my God. Yes. You know, like there's a. If you're not white, you're probably getting screwed in this country (laughs) and the conversations need to be had. And so with everything we're talking about in this episode, please know that for every one of these resources, there is at least another that's probably a one-to-one on Mm -hmm. whether it's indigenous content, whether it's AAPI, Asian American and Pacific Islander content, um, Latinx content. And then we can extend it over to the LGBTQIA plus as well. So like, just take this episode as an invitation to do some searching and find some stuff that is by created by people who are not like you in some way or another. So one of the podcasts that I found is not a current podcast, but it's, this person is a music educator and radio personality and rapper and just he's all of the things his name is Toki Wright Toki T-O-K-I and then Wright W-R-I-G-H-T which is ironically the last name of the young man who was killed this last weekend I did not think about that Um, he had a show uh, before he relocated to teach at Berkeley recently um with the npr show the current which is like the independent small modern hip-hop pop style music in the twin cities um it's not specific to twin cities artists but that's it's the show in the twin cities um and there are still episodes available online. The show is called Right About Now, W R I G H T, About Now. It's a monthly music, culture, and lifestyle podcast hosted by Toki Wright. Um, and it's real, real cool. And just generally, this is a person about whom you should be aware. He gave a, TED to- a TEDx talk uh, with TEDx Minneapolis back in 2016. You can head to TEDxMinneapolis.com and look at their past events to watch his talk there's actually a handful of, um, talks. The event was called reverb when you go to the past events. Um, and it was all about music and there's a handful of performances and talks that are either performed by or centered around, um, people of color in music. So that's just something it's again, not a current podcast. There are episodes available and you should check them out. And he talks a lot about the African-American diaspora, Uh, of hip hop essentially. And he created like the first hip hop curriculum for McNally Smith college before they, um, stopped being a thing. Um, so teaching hip hop as a course, you know, like to back to the point of decolonizing the music room. Um, so yeah, just a really kick-ass person on a personal level. I got to coach him for the TEDx Minneapolis talk, just a delight. Um, And just full of incredible wisdom and really compelling things to say. So check him out. Um, And then the last one, this is not specifically music related, but I found it and it seemed very important. If you're a person who is, (laughs) if you've listened this far in the episode, I would assume that at a minimum, you would like to educate yourself about anti-racism. And there's a podcast called the ARCC of change with Donzel Leggett. So this is a podcast from the, here's the acronym anti-racist commitment, or sorry, anti-racism commitment or ARCC, which is an organization dedicated to eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism. So Donzel Leggett uh, is the host and he talks about relevant topics that are m- meant to inspire the listener, help build uh, our capabilities to take action and change the world because I mean, none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists yeah Mm -hmm. i think we can Mm -hmm. agree yep this is available on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify player fm amazon and podcast index (laughs) again please try not to give money to jeff bezos (laughs) we know it's hard it's really hard he's everywhere he's he's like santa he sees you when you're sleeping So you got
2: one more podcast for us, and then I want to jump into the books because we are we are leading heavily towards the books
0: right now. We sure are. I actually have two, um, one that I have listened to in the past, one that I now intend to having stumbled upon it today. The one that I intend to listen to is called Triloquy, which I really like. Um, and it's basically, it, it, the content is that classical music being widely considered a Western European art form. In reality, every culture has music with foundational elements that are worth celebrating, obviously. So Triloquy is this weekly podcast and arts initiative that uh, like affirms the classical aspects of compositions from all cultures in an effort to decolonize the phrase quote "classical music. What is classical?
3: Mm-hmm. Is it a time
0: period? is a reg- is it a region is it a is it a type of sound it, I think that we could argue that it's kind of the root system of music in whatever culture that it takes place. And therefore, we should decolonize it. We should look at what is classical in other music traditions. So that's what this podcast essentially seeks to do. It's uh, on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And then... Hold on, hold on. I have
2: to comment about that. Oh my gosh, there's
0: this this whole field of study in music that is
2: called... (laughs) ethnomusicology, and I hate that term so much because (laughs) it means just researching all the music that wasn't written by white European men. (laughs) Um, I mean, why can't we just call it musicology but of course musicology just means the music by the white men
0: right because There's... we have to center whiteness at the middle of every fucking conversation
2: oh, oh yeah yep <laughs> yep yep and and it just it makes that music I mean the the way that it is viewed within the field is that it's niche
0: mm. <laughs> which oh, is cute. weird because
2: like white people aren't even the majority of the world so like, why is everything else that is actually the majority considered niche? Just throwing that just, out just, there. Just some food
0: for thought. Just some food for thought about statistics and pie charts and stuff. Oh, goodness. Yes. But I'm totally okay. gonna listen to that podcast. Yeah, I, I thank know. Thank you for that. Right? I know. I'm really excited about I'm excited also about Black Opera Live. That sounds really cool too. And the last one I want to tell you about is adorable and they remind me a little bit of us it's a podcast called classically black podcast it is hosted by delaney and katie two black classical musicians on the rise looking to share their perspective with a new and interesting twist so classically black podcast i mean the two of them just riff off of each other and shoot the shit and it's delightful (laughs) It's just really, it's uh, it's it's pretty unstructured, it seems like. Like they come, come in with a topic they want to talk about. They go off on tangents like we do. And it's just nice. Like you just sit and listen to these two friends talk about a lot of things, but centering um, classical musicians, Black classical musicians and issues around that. Um, so it centers black voices it challenges ideas of what the field of classical music looks like and at its core it was created with the purpose of showing black musicians that even in an industry that so clearly lacks diversity that they are visible and that their voices matter and this is available on Sound, SoundCloud, Spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and possibly other platforms they say on their website wherever you listen to podcasts which is ambiguous <laughs> so <I> think- exciting <laughs>
2: I think that what what that means is like if you use Overcast to get your podcast and Overcast is like a podcatcher that will that will put that sure, out sure, there sure, for sure, you. Sure. Yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> yeah, those are my podcast recommendations and I'm excited to dig into a couple of those that I had not listened to prior to today. Love that. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Jumping into books. You said that you are not one to, to sit down and read and I get that. You have a four and a half year old. <laughs> like... I get it. Okay, so I won't force you to read these books, but I will say that there are actually audiobook versions of all of the books that I'm about to give you. Uh Um, (laughs) I am a massive reader, and I actually process things and, and unwind by reading a lot of books, typically high fantasy. And high fantasy and science fiction tend to be worlds that are not populated by the black voice, especially the black female voice. So I have a few recommendations along those lines. First of all, N.K. Jemison is one of my favorite authors of all time. I talked about her in episode 27 when we talked about Ethel Smythe Dervald.
3: She's amazing.
2: She's also like a counseling psychologist on top of being a novelist. So her character depth is incredible um i did i just finished her short stories book how long until black future month which is really awesome and the title she actually pulled it from an essay that she wrote called how long until black future month which i I also highly recommend
0: yeah that's super cool and i'm excited i didn't know that she was a a psychologist a Mm -hmm. counseling psychologist that i am like my interest is officially peaked (laughs) So you'll really like this book series and it has a really great audiobook. I can't
2: remember who the narrator is. And if you want to borrow the actual like physical copy of the book, I have. I mean, time. I will, but
0: I'll never get it. I'll never <laughs> get it back to you and it probably won't get read. Oh, okay, <laughs> then don't It'll be on your hands off like- my books get my book back from Amanda and I'll be in the next room on my deathbed going I haven't finished it yet (laughs) so mental note never let Amanda
2: borrow like I trust you in so many respects (laughs)
0: do not lend me a book
2: and I'm the kind of person where I'm like okay if I've read a book and I'm never going to read it again I'm not going to leave it on my bookshelf I'm going to give it to somebody else and they can keep passing it on but this trilogy Mm -hmm. the Broken Earth trilogy specifically is on my curated bookshelf like stuff that that yeah, I will don't. always return to. Uh-huh. So the Broken Earth trilogy, each of the books in this trilogy won the Hugo Award for best novel of the year they came out, making N. K. Jemisin the first person to win the Hugo Award three consecutive years. Okay. Like, take that white men. <laughs> <laughs> And the protagonist of this trilogy is somebody who's been persecuted her entire life because she was born a certain way and people are afraid of the power she and people like her have and how much harm it could cause if they choose to use it in the wrong way. So these people are preemptively subdued and they're turned into society's monsters sound familiar so
0: unrelatable
2: (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh-huh so highly recommend those i burned through the trilogy in like a week it was so good and if you're not really into like sci-fi and you're not if you want something that's a slightly easier read tomi adayemi she wrote um children of blood and bone and then the sequel, Children of Virtue and Vengeance. And it's basically the YA version of the Broken Earth trilogy. It's a fantasy novel, which centers around a teenage girl whose people have been oppressed because of the powers they were born with. And she's lived through genocide and faces daily threats to her own small freedoms at the hands of the ruling class. And Tomi Adami wrote this series as a direct allegory to police violence and the oppressive systems of power. And there are cool. even characters who, who claim to love people who are oppressed, but only do the right thing when it's the easy thing to do. Mm. My my younger sister, who is a, she's a middle school English teacher, she and I exchange books for Christmas every year. And so I get a lot of YA Aww. novels from her. And Aww. she gave me this book for Christmas this year. And I finished it in one day. And then I bought the sequel and finished that in one day. They're just, they're fantastic.
0: Cool. That's awesome. Would you say they're, so, okay, YA, young adult. Mm-hmm. I have recently started reading Harry Potter to Juniper and Mm -hmm. she really likes it. And it's got some adult themed stuff in it, war and death and things like that. Would you say that these are like definitely for preteens and teenagers? I would say they're. I would start them with high schoolers
2: probably Um, for the Harry Potter series like we grew up with the characters because we were always the same age as the characters as the books came out right Um, so you don't get to like grow with these characters you are just thrown into like they're they're like 17 to 20 Mm, like the main age because they all the all of the adults of their race were killed in this genocide so oh. the genocide was like 11 years ago and anybody older than 13 was killed so all oh of these my. characters are very young and of course there's like a whole lot of sexual tension that comes out and you know falling in love with somebody is not <sighs> the same hormones. thing as respecting them yes. <laughs> oh my! they're really wonderful i don't think your four and a half year old would would get all the themes yeah no definitely <laughs> not <laughs>
1: definitely.
0: i knew it was a shot in the dark <laughs> <laughs> definitely not going to do this one for her right but now. i did put a book
2: for juniper on this list <gasps> you did i did what it's is called it? It's called When Marion Sang. I'm actually buying a few copies of this book and donating them to the
0: grade school teachers
2: in my life.
0: Well, if you um, want to add one more to your order and I'll Venmo you, you can do that.
2: Oh, girl, I will gift. I Seriously, we have like a list of books that we always gift to children and this is on my list. Aww. So I'll give Juniper a copy of this. Aww. So the author is Pam Munoz Ryan and the illustrator is Brian Selznick. And the book is about Marion Anderson, who was an American contralto who was active in the pre-civil rights era, and she's a key figure in the struggle for artists of color overcoming racial prejudice. And the main event in her life that were that most people are familiar with is that she was prevented from giving a performance by the daughters of the American Revolution, aka them racist bitches. So (laughs) Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt arranged a concert for her on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. On April 9, 1939, 75,000 people were in attendance and millions more heard it over the radio.
1: And so the book...
2: The book is beautifully written. It's like a libretto, and it's gorgeously illustrated. And it just talks about Marian Anderson and and just how she just needed to be a singer. And it really, it focuses on that groundbreaking performance, which is, it's it's really cool. I will also say that Marian Anderson went on to become the first African-American to sing at the Metropolitan Opera in
0: 1955.
2: Mm. (laughs) I knew you would get that.
0: God damn it, The
2: Met. Hmm. So those are my three, well, I guess one, two, three, four, six book recommendations, two series. <laughs> and That's kid's awesome. Book.
0: This made me think of um this this isn't specifically uh in support of BIPOC women, uh, but it is a lot, I think I would say. So you may have heard of this. It's called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. There are two volumes. And they're both these lovely hardcover books. And they've got illustrations by a handful of different artists of all these different female figures throughout history. I don't want to guess as to a percentage, but like it feels pretty even as far as racial representation goes. Um, and there, are, like I said, there are two volumes. I think there's probably like, 100 to 150 or so individual one page little stories of these people's lives, these women's lives throughout history. Um, And they're delightful. I can't say I know who the author or authors are. I feel like they're a collaborative effort. Um, or the artists but um, that makes me want to look it up and find out and and say an intelligent thing about it we'll Um, post about it we can definitely
2: like everything that we talk about here will be compiled posted on our website posted on our Facebook social media and just like this is by no means a comprehensive list of resources god no (laughs) and we will keep adding to it and if you have recommendations you want to add to it please send them our way
0: also, if you're one of the hosts of one of the podcasts that we've talked about and you think I did a terrible job of saying what your podcast is about, I am so sorry. Please come on our show. <laughs> <laughs> and set the record straight. Set the record straight. I will I will absolutely defer to your expertise about what your podcast is. <laughs>
2: But before we leave the book track here, um, I already mentioned Libro FM, and you did bring up Black Garnet Books, which is a wonderful Black-owned bookstore here in the Twin Cities. That's my dog. We also have Bone Shaker Books and Birch Bark Books, which are BIPOC owned bookstores here in the Twin Cities. I just mm-hmm. also, um, my favorite holiday, well, my second favorite holiday, my favorite is Halloween, but my second favorite holiday is Independent Bookstore Day, which is something that happens nationally. And it is happening on Saturday, April 24th this year. And just check your local independent bookstores. They probably have like really great sales and events going on. And you can get like a little passport here in the Twin Cities to get stamped at all the bookstores and you can get like fun prizes it's the second best holiday of the year There is an organization that all of our listeners should know about, and anybody within the field of opera should know about, called the Black Opera Alliance. Yes. It is a recent organization, and they're fantastic. Their mission is to empower Black classical artists and administrators by exposing systems of racial inequity and underrepresentation of the African diaspora in all facets of the industry and challenging institutions to implement drastic reform. On their website they have a pledge for both companies and individuals to sign the pledge has eight points each a way of holding ourselves and our companies accountable in an active commitment to dismantle racism and the systems that perpetuate it within our art form i have signed this petition as an individual i encourage encourage you all to read it take it to heart sign it yourselves encourage your opera companies that you work with to do the same and in fact i I know of an opera company that is complaining about the pressures that the Black Opera Alliance is putting on them. Um, one of the <laughs> one of the commitments um in the pledge is to make sure that the representation in the artists that you hire is at least as diverse as the population.
0: Uh, seems fair.
2: <laughs> it seems totally fair. So, guess which company I will not be singing with. That one. So, what I am saying is, if you are a singer or a musician and you are contracted with an opera company that has not signed this pledge, question why and maybe mm-hmm. reconsider that contract with the company. Yeah, it's not that
0: that's not hard. That's no. not hard, especially here in Minnesota when the population ratios are so already drastically different. I feel like being able to diversify your casting and if it's a, if it's the matter of like, oh, we don't have as many people of color auditioning. Seek them out. Find them. <laughs> they exist. Like, <laughs> So, OK, um, I want to take a second. And just talk about why we're talking about this. Yeah. And this might be, again, if you've listened this far into the podcast, I doubt it's because you're a person who doesn't believe that systemic racism exists. I also doubt that you are a person who doesn't think that police violence is a problem. However, if you are, Thank you for listening up until this point let's let's see if we can't uh, provide you with some some materials that will change your mind. Um, but also if you're a person listening who has people in your life, <clears throat> we all do who are ignorant about this topic, I found a really informative and also trigger warning this is gross and to, it, we're going to talk about a little bit of statistics around police violence here. so if if you are, not gonna like hearing about that because you're a member of the community that is disproportionately affected by this. This is your skip ahead 30 seconds <laughs> warning. Um, so, mappingpoliceviolence.org is a really cool website. Uh, it's a research project. Uh, they've got their sources listed uh, on their about page, and they basically just kind of parse out all the data for you. They look at year to year. Um, city by city, percentages of people, percentages of unarmed people, and some of the stats that I pulled that I thought were just the most, like, you got to know these ones if you don't know anything else. So far this year alone, American police have killed 268 people. Jesus Christ.
2: There haven't even been 268 days in the year. I know. That's multiple people every day.
0: Yep. So... In 2020, over over the course of 2020, over 1,100 Americans were killed by police. Black people were 28% of those killed, despite the fact that they make up only 13% of the population.
4: Oh, my God.
0: Black people are three times more likely to be killed by police than white people, and those black people killed... Are 1.3 times more likely to be unarmed compared to the killed white counterparts. So, like, why? Retreat is not a reason for force. I'm sorry. So, fun you know, fact, can we it- talk about fight or flight for a second here? Yeah, no, no, should. Because when you are in a state
2: where you are afraid, where mm-hmm. your autonomous, ner- auto- autonomic nervous system, thank you, autonomic nervous system is kicking in and making your decisions for you and you go into fight, flight, or shut down. Like, you're not making rational decisions for yourself at that point. And what do you think is the biggest fear for a black man in America? No
0: shit. Honestly, that's the thing that's been driving me the most bonkers about seeing people saying, like, well, if he just would have complied, he was trying to get away. Yeah, you know what? That says a fucking lot about the fact that Black people's and generally the public's trust in cops over the last, I don't know, few decades, last year, has eroded to the point where specifically Black people, people of color, wonder and have to make a gut choice as to whether it is safer to stick around and see what happens or to chance it and run away because you might be safer if you literally flee. Yeah. Like, can't. <sighs> yeah, okay. Like, oh my, I just, oh my God. I can't, I can't make sense of this. It doesn't can't. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Minneapolis is in second place for most police killings from 2013 to 2020. First place is Chicago. And most You're of the Southern and Californian me. major cities on this list are like way down at the bottom. I mean, like, it is a massive jump in the number so yeah there were only 18 days in 2020 where police did not kill someone and this website i mean it has a shit ton of stuff but they also have data on how police violence is changing over time with regard to like rural versus suburban versus urban areas levels of violent crime correlated against police violence rates of crime against police killings Uh, so like for example what is the rate of crime in this specific city or area versus what is the rate of police killings in that same area. And it basically demonstrates that there's no fucking correlation between low rates of crime and low rates of killing because it's not related to rates of crime. Uh, and then there's also like visual representations of police killing for just about every city in the country. You can just search your city or live the major city in your area. And the data is laid out super clearly with visuals and sources are cited. And it's just, you know, it's, this is not intended to be trauma porn. This is intended to be educational for people who want to arm themselves with facts. Um, and to just understand why there's so much outrage over this and why, why things are burning, (laughs) you know, like I'm not going to come out and say, yeah, looting is good. It's not good. None of this is fucking good, but it makes sense. The anger makes sense. So if
2: you are confronted with somebody who wants to, what about this entire situation? And they are not somebody who responds well to facts because we turned out those can just be a matter of opinion. Um, I highly recommend the movie Snowpiercer. (laughs) and I know this sounds sounds crazy and this literal and figurative train has a caboose I promise so (laughs) I've seen seen this movie movie and I don't understand where how you're going to tie this in so I'm interested it's it's I I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen it because it's a beautifully crafted film and it's a wonderful story and it has nothing really to do with the books that it's based on so just watch the film (laughs) and use it for this allegory um but it 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 is a direct allegory to the way that we keep the poor people poor and the oppressed people oppressed and we villainize them when they try to gain any power for themselves. If you think that people can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and work hard and make it in this life, this is this is a really good good way of showing you that that's not always possible and that the only way to fix the oppressive system is to crash the train and burn it down.
0: Snowpiercer. Another <laughs> couple of <laughs> spots. Um, if you're specifically still, if you're here going like, what about the music? Um, <laughs> there are a few Instagram accounts that dot com or no, sorry, opera, at hour on Instagram follows. Um, the first five, four of these are really good for just increasing your awareness around the black experience in classical music and that general area. So we've got at opera is racist at composing is racist at ballet is racist. And at orchestra is racist. There's, I think a couple more, in that same kind of family um they don't post super often but basically what they do is they post anonymous stories that people submit to them about their experiences of being othered in these spaces and being made to feel less than because of their race and it's just you know it's again not trauma porn it is i feel important for us as the privileged to acquaint ourselves at a minimum with the types of experiences that our BIPOC counterparts are having so that we can understand them and so that we can understand why we are dismantling these oppressive systems the other two uh definitely not trauma porn definitely awesome yay and there's probably way more than this that i just didn't have time to pull together cuz i was scrambling to pull this all together today um but there's one called at black girls sing opera and at black women in opera and these are just two lovely instagram accounts that are showcasing w- black women in opera and it's just lovely to see and it's exciting to it's honestly it's exciting to learn about new up-and-coming musicians all the time um, but particularly when they're making up a much smaller percentage of the musical community and deserve to be uplifted so that they can reach the same heights as their more privileged counterparts. So yeah, follow those guys, follow those accounts on Instagram.
2: Well, I would like to leave us with one event that is coming up. Um, If you are looking for an opera company that is doing some good work in their DEI, I highly recommend taking a look at Houston Grand Opera and everything they're doing. Um, They have produced a lovely opera slash film production of the Marian Anderson story called Marian's Song. And it will be presented later this month, and you can watch it for free on their website or on Marquee TV on Friday, April 30th at 7.30 p.m. Central. Love it. We're going to end things a little bit differently this week. The lovely folks at The Score podcast from Minnesota Opera have graciously agreed to let us use some audio from their episode three entitled Diversity Is Not Enough. I highly recommend you check out their podcast, and we will post links to it in the show notes.
1: think you know it it all reflects sort of the systems of oppression that live outside of the opera house mm-hmm. and they're just reflected in these processes and uh-huh. so yeah absolutely disrupting that being able to create in a space where you do feel empowered to show up as your authentic self to bring your lived experience your opinions the things that excite you the things that motivate you the things that make you sad the things that make you angry um and to be able to express that all in a space that doesn't feel oppressive um you know and I think it probably goes back to like our very first initial you know conversation about like just eliminating that white supremacy culture um everywhere um and how do we do that (laughs)
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Still figuring that out. <laughs> Still, figuring, Still it figuring it out. Still figuring that out. <laughs> but
3: yeah, I'm just so interested in, you know, seeing any creators of marginalized communities who are coming into opera be more supported mm-hmm. in, in doing so. Like, not just, we'll pay you to make this opera about <laughs> whatever people of color are experiencing. Just just write about it or just just sing about it.
1: Like, like and have em- there be more em-
3: of a conversation than that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like Emm- Emmett Till. That he was, he was, a, he, was a, he was a black person, right? Writer, write an right. opera about that, okay. But can we, can we <laughs> stay away
3: from? Yeah. Can we just like you know keep it like positive though? Yeah. Like talking about Emmett Till, but keep it positive a little, though. A little like... less, a little
1: less murder.
3: Right. <laughs> like, but that's really what we happens. <laughs> We're joking, but that's exactly what happens. Like. You know, often, uh, you know, companies want to, and I'm not just talking opera, I'm talking across the spectrum of any kind of art, who want to engage with the, with people of color and our experiences, but don't want the ugly parts. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> they mm-hmm. want like a a nice, just, you know, palatable program. Or they ha- do want the ugly
1: parts, but only the ugly parts.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 not directed at them, not directed at any, not directed at
1: them. And, but none of the joy, none of the excitement and love, but just, just suffering, just a big three hour wall of suffering. Mm.
4: (sighs) (laughs) I think where, where this has to, where some of the shifts have to happen, right? Because this is like a, a profoundly structural challenge. Um, is really in one being able to identify the appropriate leaders who can lead an organization through how complicated this conversation is right and can really take a stand and say hey this is what is important for us to show on the other side and really put you know resources behind it in some instances her his or their name on the line in terms of saying no this this is what we're doing right so that's a piece of it and then two really being able to find those stories that audiences of color are going to find resonant and they Mm -hmm. will show up because a piece of this that we can't really leave out is that we're talking about opera companies that are in america right now and america is a place that has been contoured completely by capitalism, right? Mm. So the the thing is we also have to make sure that we are finding the audiences, we're doing the stories, and then we are demonstrating to our colleagues, like, telling these stories isn't causing us to go broke. Like, there is (laughs) (laughs) an an investment that we're making, because opera is super expensive to produce, even, like, at the very small scale, right? Like, opera is, is not like certain other op art forms where it's generally in the main, easy to execute on a shoestring budget. Like that—that that is definitely a challenge of, of the creation process and really figuring out like, how do we do this in a way where we can push the whole field for it? And some of that is being able to respond to that, right? And one of the things that I feel like I want to be able to do more of, and I hope I can figure out what this looks like in the Twin Cities context, is identifying those companies which are probably smaller, that are probably um, led by BIPOC people, right? That are really taking certain kinds of chances and really supporting them, right? Supporting them, uplifting them, using whatever Platforms that I have access to to be able to say this work is important and we need to acknowledge it because I think part of How you're going to be able to represent to the entire field that this is important is by showing The many ways that like this is actually Viable because that is a thing that is a challenge here there are lots and lots of BIPOC companies that are out there that are doing great work that is meaningful and artistically satisfying and impressive and thought provoking, but aren't really getting the opportunities to sort of move out of their spaces. They're, they're not the ones that are necessarily capturing the national ima- imagination, right? And I think if we look back a couple years ago on to Hamilton, it, I, I think what managed to be so interesting about Hamilton is the way that it caught fire nationally in the media, not necessarily because it was the first musical to employ hip hop, it certainly wasn't, but like the ways that people were forced to respond to its success. And I think we need to be able to figure out what are the stories that are going to catch fire in this way that people are going to be forced to pay attention to the work that's already happening in the space and the people who have been toiling for years and years to push the the form forward, but just haven't necessarily had the material success that's going to give them the platform where everybody's going to pause and say, hey, this is something we should all be thinking about right now, because no matter how we slice it, like, this is part of the universe in which we exist. So I I think that it's like a multi-pronged thing, right? And I hope that in discovering that there are many complications to doing this work, companies aren't going to become trepidatious and pull back and stop doing it. I I hope people see that there are challenges and then sort of push through and continue to sort of think through solutions and continue pushing forward and producing the art and engaging the artists and and taking chances because I feel like our collective future is wrapped up in our being able to let go of a, a past that is not serving us right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I mean, that's one of my biggest fears is that, you know, and I think we, I think, Lee, you and I had a conversation about this once a long time ago, um, where, you know, I guess I was having a a more cynical moment um, where it's just (laughs) like, you know, here we are in this new administration and like people are going to think like, Oh, like we can put EDI on the back burner. That was just something that we were upset about. Like while, Voldemort was an office. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you know, it's 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 it really is the challenge, and I really that really resonates with me. You know what you're saying about you know finding that thing that really catches fire that causes people to really reckon with um, these ideas. Um, yeah. You know, in opera especially. Um, yeah. And so I I wonder if, if, is there anything for you right now um any examples um of things that you you you've seen or heard that for you are are doing that are are pushing those those things forward
4: Actually you asked that at just the right moment Oh um. look at me <laughs> <laughs> I'm a psychic <laughs> Um so there was Um, a project happening at opera philadelphia um, that i've mentioned to you i think to you both like offline not on the podcast that i was really taken with and part of my entree to it in the interest of full disclosure is a group of folks um, with whom i am close were working on one of the projects so i got to be a part of it from beginning to end and hear lots and lots about it But I felt like the thing that was really, really great about it wasn't just that they were thoughtful about um, the composers that they employed, but they were also very thoughtful about supporting their individual unique processes, right? And one of the composers, um, Courtney Bryan, someone with whom I went to graduate school, um, has a process that is very improvisational like in jazz music, right? Um, and they were very supportive of that process and giving space to the artists with whom she was working to create in the ways that they wanted to create the music, right? And the music was absolutely gorgeous. The, the singing was beautiful. The, the videography was stunning. The, the lyrics were, were really, really wonderful. And I thought, like, if you take this as, like, an encapsulated experience, like, I, I like the approach from beginning to end. No, granted, I wasn't working on the administrative side where I usually work, and, and perhaps that was a bit more complicated. But from what my understanding was in terms of how to receive an audience, I'm sorry, how to receive um, diverse set of creators, I actually thought that was really, really powerful. And it's something that I've wanted to bring into my own praxis as an administrator. Um, and some of the other, pieces that were created for this by um, Taishan story and Angelica Negron were also really fantastic. Um, Angelica's piece included Sasha Valor and if there are any Drag Ooh. Race fans yeah. and I certainly hope I get there are some Drag Race fans. Day, Oh baby. my God, I will <laughs> never get over that <laughs> lip sync as long as I live and six months after I die. I will always be moved by that. I but mean, my...
1: I feel so bad for um uh uh, Shea Couleé. Mm-hmm. How could I not mm-hmm. come up with Shea Couleé? And then, I mean, <laughs> like she must have just been traumatized
4: for years. Well, she said on all It was so the wig All-Star. snatch Ugh. of the century. Oh, I mean, that I, poor thing. Oh my God, I I wasn't ready for it. And I hope uh-huh. my own hair stays firmly attached to my head after seeing that because it was everything about it was was kind of stunning, right? And each of these pieces that were part of the. You know uh philadelphia's project were stunning in their own way right and i and i just thought this is an instance of where we as a field can learn a bit about how do you make space for creators to do what it is that they do and and really think about what it means on the administrative side to construct something that people leave saying wow this was really positive as an experience, right? The, these are the kinds of things that, you know, I strive to do as an administrator. And because I am not typically on the creative side here at Minnesota Opera, I don't have a multitude of opportunities to to engage with artists to find out, am I getting this right? Um, but because one of the creatives involved with this piece is my husband, I, I actually did get to hear him talking about this was a really positive experience and as a person who composes and sings for a living like you know he found a lot of what was constructed to be meaningful because he didn't feel like it was obliterating his space to create as a man of color right so that that's something that's really really stuck with me, and I'm looking for opportunities in my work at Minnesota to make sure that that is the kind of experience that I'm creating for those um, with whom I collaborate.
1: That's beautiful. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Thank you. so now it is time for my personal favorite segment Um, as usual we will send you off into the weekend with a PB&J a little slice of pure black joy um, to nourish your soul (laughs) and uh, today's PB&J comes from uh, Mr. Lee Bynum
4: well in an effort to counterbalance the heaviness of the earlier portions of the show I wanted to talk about two things really quickly that I've seen in the media that have just absolutely tickled me. Um, The first one is about Sesame Street and the addition of two new Muppets, (laughs) Wes and Elijah, who are created to resemble African Americans. Um, And for those of you who don't know, which is probably literally everybody listening, um, I have an extensive background in puppetry. Do you? Um, I, I didn't know really? that. Um, yeah. I what? really thought that I was going to work professionally as a puppeteer, and I've actually, I well, I have worked professionally as a puppeteer. I thought I would be a puppeteer with my life, um, but instead wow. I have to settle for being a Muppet, <laughs> which my husband frequently <laughs> reminds me of. Um, but actually seeing that Sesame Street has taken on, you know, like, really being thoughtful about what it means in terms of phenotype and human experiences to be a person of color, a black person, and are finding ways to integrate this into Sesame Street is something I find really, really inspiring. I think the two Muppets are super cute, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, 35 years ago when I was watching Sesame Street would have moved me fundamentally and I would have held on to for my entire life. Representation matters. Kids need to see themselves reflected in the things that they're watching. And I am super excited about, like, the fact that this is just explicit representation of Black people on Sesame Street as Muppets. <laughs> Not just, you know, you know Olivia, for instance, who the, the great Elena Reed Hall, God rest her soul, was one of my all-time favorite performers. Um, but I think this is also super important for kids to see.
1: One of the best tweets I've seen in a while, it's Elmo and he's sitting next to the two of them and the captions just like, but what if Elmo is singing along to Elmo's favorite song, then can Elmo say it?
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: no.
4: oh, 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 no.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Teach the kids early. Exactly. The kids early. <laughs> 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 oh, that was amazing.
4: <laughs> um so then my second piece of pure black joy comes in wanting to a- acknowledge Abina Appia who was first the first African-American woman to represent the United States in the Miss Grand International Pageant. I don't know a ton about the pageant world, um, but I do really like when there are firsts, right? Mm-hmm. And she went on to win the pageant, and one of the gowns she wore was a literal Black Lives Matter. Oh, magazine. I saw that. Right? And it had the names of several African-Americans who were unfortunately the victims of police brutality, including George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, and their names and images appeared on a really beautiful gown. I had been scouring the internet, trying to determine who made the gown so that I could acknowledge that person too. What I've been able to find is that Vest Alternative, which I believe is in Manila, the Philippines, um, actually produced the dress. I'm not exactly sure which designer there did it, but you should show Abina some love and you should show Vest Alternative some love because it's really, really stunning. Congratulations to her on her win. Um, Yay, congrats.
3: Congrats. Congratulations.
4: Absolutely, and it was just a nice reminder that sort of irrespective of what it is that we do professionally, there are ways that we can shine light on the issues that are important to us. So I really appreciated seeing that and I love that she won and, you know we can continue to do more in this space.
1: Absolutely. Even more than we realize.
4: Absolutely. Mm. Well, I think
1: that's going to do it for this week on the score before we go um today is wednesday when we're recording so this probably isn't coming out until friday but we do want to shout out that today is uh, trans day of visibility and we just want to tell all of our trans siblings and non-binary siblings that we love you and we see you and congratulations and we hope you're having a wonderful day um and we are here standing beside you with our arms around you loving you mm-hmm. every day doesn't matter that visibility day was Wednesday. We're loving you today, tomorrow, and always. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Lee Page. As always, it has been a wonderful pleasure.
3: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's been day. wonderful. I'm like, <laughs> kikiing with y'all. <you> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and I realized
1: the last time I didn't say all the patter. So subscribe, leave a review. Share us with your friends. Make sure that all this black classical music opera goodness gets out (laughs) into the world and into the ears of the people who need to hear it. And leaving a review helps Apple understand our existence or whatever. I don't know how the algorithms work or whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But just leave us a five-star review and that would help us out a lot. So... I think that's it officially, and we will see you in two weeks. Until then, bye y'all. Bye,
4: everybody.